It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Locked on crossover action. Two teams comprising three lottery picks today. Ryland Styles from Locked on Thunder. Tony East from Locked on Pitch. We're going to talk about Dyson Daniels from the G League Ignite. And you might have seen him at NBA All-Star Weekend. We'll break it all down today on either Locked on Pacers or Locked on Thunder. I'm going to insert the video later, so I'm not going to play right now. Welcome, everybody, to a Locked on crossover today. We're doing a crossover between the Pacers and Thunder, and we're not talking about either the Pacers or the Thunder directly here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm Tony East, the host of Lockdown Pacers. He's Ryland Styles, the host of Lockdown Thunder and Lockdown Royals, and a coverer of the G League Ignite. We're going to talk about Dyson Daniels. Ryland, do you love Dyson Daniels? How do you feel about him as a potential top 10 prospect in this mix? Yeah, I think that Dyson Daniels is a very interesting option. I think that his defense is extremely appealing for uh NBA executives, top 10, I think that his range will be in the lottery, of course, and I think it will be somewhere within the picks 10, 11, 12 in that range because his playmaking and defense are just off the charts. And those are two things that you really need to, to win in a modern NBA, obviously. He is really good. I would pick him higher than 10. I'll just spoil that right now. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about him, and you covered the Ignite for much of this season, which makes you the, the guy, the man with the eyes on the prize. In this situation, as always, for you listening, thank you for making either Locked On Pacers or Locked On Thunder your first listen today and every single day. Both shows free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, for those of us seeing our lovely faces right now. So the the big appeal of Dyson Daniels to me, and the reason I'm a little higher on him than most, is like tall creators are all the juice right now to me. And like that, that's not the only appeal of him, and that's not the only thing that's guiding some of these successful playoff teams. But you know, if you are really tall and you can whip passes around and curl around screens and make plays happen like that is super valuable height is is something you cannot teach a player to have and so he's a mostly point guard i'd call him a combo i guess but he's really tall he's got crazy good passing instincts he doesn't make a lot of flashy passes outside of his outlet passes he's like kevin love with those but he's a really solid passer and creator and at that height that's super valuable you saw that firsthand with both the ignite and with josh giddy on the thunder all season long right so that's where a lot of the appeal is for me and the reason i'm pretty high on him is like just being able to see over guys and have more angles as a creator at that height is so valuable. Yeah, I think that the tall creation that, that you get from a guy like Josh Giddy or a guy like Dyson Daniel is so important because in the NBA, you need you need multiple ball handlers, multiple creators. You're seeing the teams that are, stri- that are striving right now have those things. And for Dyson Daniel, I like to look at prospects kind of inside out in the sense of like what do they do wrong and how much of that is going to be sustainable versus uh, how much of that can you improve and then what do you do right and really the only knock on him in my opinion is his shooting and he didn't do enough of the free throw line to make you think that that can improve you're usually looking for like 70 percent at the line to have an encouragement that he can eventually become a better three-point shooter he shot 53 percent but he shot 29.9 percent from the three-point line basically 30 percent and if you get a 30 percent three-point shooter who can defend i think one through four in the nba with development 
and, and switch very well on defensive end, plus uh, can create for others on your team. If you get that in a player, you can then hide the shooting and disguise the shooting with you know your your roster construction of giving him three or four shooters around him. So the negatives for him are those two aspects, you know, the, the shooting uh, for himself, but then also with that shooting, he's not very explosive going to the rim, but neither is Josh Giddy, and Josh Giddy's able to get to the rim in creative ways with that floater that he has. And that off of that floater, once you get Josh Giddy a lob threat, then it turns into an even better weapon because he's able to throw alley-oops to guys uh, in, that, in that setting. So I think Dyson Jones has enough to get to the rim, even though he's not explosive, and has enough to hide his shooting to where it, his flaws are very easily pushed to the side. And then you're and left, then you're with, left the with the modern media play, media play that can that stay can in the game in the playoffs and can help you win a game to down a stretch. Yeah, two funny things about his – well, one funny thing about his stat profile and then talking about more of what you just said. In in G League, uh, the Showcase Cup, the Ignite Showcase Cup, the first 14 games for them, he did terrible from three. I think it was like 25%. But shot well from the free throw line. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, maybe that's a fixable thing. And then they do the exhibition part after that part of the season is over – and he shoots much better from three, gets it up to 37%, and makes less than 50% of his free throws. It's like, well, I have no idea. Uh, just watching him, I will say, I agree with you, the shot does not look like a strength at all. It's not that his form is weird, it just isn't something he seeks out, it's not something that goes in very often. So that's an interesting thing, but to the point about, like, Giddy getting to the rim, or tall creators who aren't, like, you know, elite at just killing guys off the dribble. If you draft Dyson Daniels, and your plan is, number one creator, has the ball all the time, iso, attack, blah, blah, blah. That's not probably going to work, right? That's not what he's really good at. But as a, you know, you mentioned you need a bunch of these creators to be a good NBA team. As a secondary guy or attacking already bent defenses or attacking not the best defender on the other team, that's where he's really good, like curling around screens. He's absolutely excellent at like bending the defense and doing that in a nice direction. A good change of speed off-ball guy, you know, can go with both hands. That was really impressive. Like I just, before we started this, watched their first game against the Mexico City team. And he had a couple left-handed drives that were really strong in that game. So because he can go with both hands, that makes him a threat there too. Like he can get to the rim despite not being an elite ISO guy. So the shot might not be there, but he has enough creative ways both as a brilliant off-ball mover and a good size guy who can work with both hands to kind of make up for those weaknesses and still make him a really, really solid offensive player. And I think that too, even though it's not just jump off the page athleticism or explosiveness from him, it goes a combination too of just his pacing the way that he can slow himself down, albeit not from a Russell Westbrook level explosion, but still slow himself down from what he's typically at. And he does have a second gear he can get to in certain spots. I know he cannot sustain this for an entire game even, but there are certain clips and certain uh, games in which you see a possession where he looks way more sped up than he usually does. So switching that gear, so to say, uh, against defenses can help him disguise what he's going to do next, even though he's just not a pure athlete with a ton of explosive, uh, explosiveness and kind of make his highlights that way. So I think that there's a lot of positives about Dyson Daniels in this draft, especially as we see how the modern NBA is moving. The defense is fascinating. Uh, 6'6", means he can switch a lot as playing the one and two he guarded. You said one through four. Uh, and that, 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 that matches, you know, he's a good switcher, good, really good on ball defender. And like the advanced stat stuff, I'm, I'm a dork about the advanced stats for defensive prospects. Like if you have a really good steal and block percentage, that's usually like, Hey, this guy's gonna probably be okay. Uh, he's got good both in both Showcase Cup play and Exhibition play. In fact, his steal and block percentage are exactly the same in both instances. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but still very good on both. Really good on ball guy and switch guy. 
the the knock on his on ball defense, if he is going to switch to fours, he's less than two hundred pounds, right? So at six six, like yes, he's very tall. He'll be great on the perimeter, but if he ever has to defend inside 15 feet he's gonna have to get much stronger as every prospect ever has had to do when they reach the nba but that's one part where you worry a little bit about the switching but that's where where you know i that's where i kind of separate him from people who have him like 10 9 in this draft i probably am gonna have have him like seven or six tbd it's still early in the process for me but because i'm high on that defensive part that makes his floor like enormous to me because a guy who can dribble and create and defend and switch like in the nba today i'm like Oh my God, this is great. So the defense was what really stood out to me, especially on an Ignite team where you're playing against pro-level guys in the G League all the time. Yeah, and you, you got to even look at the Thunder roster. I mean, over half the roster spent time in the G League. So whenever you're playing this competition, you're playing NBA caliber guys. And what encourages me is, like you're saying, even though you know he is skinny right now or undersized peak guarding fours at 200 pounds, he is fundamentally sound when switched on to bigger players. Like he walls off at the rim very well. He, he does it vertically without fouling very well to where – the the fundamentals and the kind of tools are there it's just having to enhance his frame which any 19 year old is going to have to do as a professional athlete so if you trust your strength and developmental program and your developmental program itself then i don't think that there's any concerns that he won't reach that potential of being able to switch almost every position and in certain small ball matchups maybe he can stand his own for two possessions against a five and not get totally exploited in the pick and roll so, so, you know, you, you start to, start to unravel this onion. You can start to see where there's a lot of interesting ways you can have pair dice and damage on your team. The other big pro, just not even from a, a skill perspective from him, but just for like a, a as a prospect is his experience playing for both the Ignite against pros. Like you just said, he played semi-pro and NBL one before even coming to America. He's played for the Australian men's national team already. Like, his resume compared to other prospects is like, oh, my God, this guy looks way better. Uh, and, again, I'm talking to the guy who covered Josh Giddy all season. You know exactly how the uh, the Australian jump kind of works. But that that stands out to me as, like, you know, you're not evaluating this guy versus, you know, like in Shaden Sharp's case, U18 games against, like, kids still in high school or, you know, against college players who aren't as good or, like, mid-majors. Like, he played against pros his whole growth cycle, and that's really appealing to me. And from everything that I've heard, the – Australia basketball circuit is truly a tight knit group to where everyone wants to see everybody succeed and they just throw you into the fire and they're hard on you and they grind on you, uh, but it's all to make you better and to give you every resource that you can. I mean, Josh Giddy said that he heard from, from Joe Ingles countless times throughout that pre-draft process and immediately as he was selected, you know, heard from him and you know, it just shows how much of a brotherhood that is to where on top of having the resources that Ignite give you to be good in the NBA, on top of having the resources that your team gives you to be good in the NBA, you're going to have resources of actual NBA players who have been through the ups, the downs, and just the lifestyle of the NBA to help you. All that kind of ties in, I think, whenever you're talking about a player's success in terms of his background. Yeah, Kiefer Sykes grinded through the Australian League before being on the Pacers this year, too. Like, it's a thing that's a, that's plausible now. And imagine if Kiefer Sykes was 10 years younger, you know, obviously coming out of that league, you'd be like, oh, this guy is a serious prospect. Let's talk about some of the stuff Dyson Daniels doesn't do as well, Ryland, because no prospect is a perfect player. Although I have learned that because he's 199 pounds, he can never get stronger. That's why Chet's not going to be good, right? He'll never get any stronger. He'll always be skinny and scrawny. I have to I have to get jabs in at stupid people every moment I can. Before we talk about some of the holes in Dyson Daniels' game, I want to talk about Bill Barr. Imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories of 16 grams of protein. That is what it's like to eat the new birthday cake puffs from Bill Barr. What are they? They're 100% covered in chocolate. 
absolutely delicious protein bars that come in so many delicious flavors. There, there's something for everybody. There's like more puff ones, like I just said, with that marshmallow infusion, but there's also a bunch of other kinds. I love the peanut butter brownie. Ryland, do you have a favorite flavor? Cookies and cream is just incredible. That is a popular one. Chris Manning's favorite is uh, from Lockdown Cabs is the cookies and cream as well. So Built Bar is the way to go. It's basically a candy bar, but a healthy protein bar, right? Most have like 150 to 140 calories, 16, 17 grams of protein, low in sugar, high in all the stuff that you're going to need to have a healthy candy bar experience or a healthy snack experience, however you want to eat it. It's perfect for you. They have a mixed package with 12 different really popular flavors in it. So there's something for everybody and you got to try them. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 when you're checking out. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Thank you, everybody, for making either Lockdown Pacers or Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single day for your second listen. Just switch the shows. Hop on over to the Thunder side, hear Ryland's take on all these draft prospects because we're doing similar topics these days as we the lottery is in four days now from when this show comes out. It's crazy how quick that's sneaking up. And, of course, Lockdown Pacers can be your second listen if you're coming from the Thunder. Lots of draft stuff over here as well. So let I talked about advanced stats earlier, and it's really great. Uh, steal percentage or block percentage for Dyson Daniels. Let's talk about another advanced stat. That is turnover rate. Uh, yikes. Um, and it 19.7% turnover rate for Dyson in exhibition play, 18.4% in the Showcase Cup. And I started with the advanced stats. I should have just started with the film. But, you know, his, his handle's pretty tight, but he does kind of dribble it off his body a lot, and he's susceptible to swipes. And, you know, he is a crafty passer at his height, but he does throw some not-so-great passes. That is... The biggest thwart in his game to me right now is the decision-making and the cleanliness of just keeping it all together. He coughs it up a lot. Yeah, we're, we're accompanying him for kind of walling up the rim really, really well and kind of doing the right things on defense very well, despite his size. It's kind of the opposite as a playmaker. Uh, he, he does panic a bit whenever you throw a second guy on him. Uh, his, his handling in an open gym would be fantastic and blow us all away, but whenever you're trying to drive to the rim and you not only have your defender on you, but somebody guarding a guy at the corner that can swipe his long, link the arms, and swipe the ball out from you, uh, he then panics in that scenario as well. Uh, he's not as a, def- as a uh, pure playmaker, and I should say more of a polished playmaker. That's what I was looking for, for as Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy steps into the league, and he's an elite playmaker from day one. Uh, I think that Dyson, Dyson Daniels has that potential to be a very high-end to elite playmaker, but I do not think it'll be as a smooth transition as Josh Giddings was. I, I think that he will struggle a lot in this area. And if you're drafting him, you have to feel comfortable and confident enough in your Villanova system to allow him to grow in that environment of, this is a guy who's not going to shoot very well. This guy's going to turn the ball over a lot. Uh, and those two things do not sound like a recipe for uh, or Carlisle, I might add. But, but you're going to let him uh, be a guy that handles the ball with a lot of turnovers and can't shoot and is able to make up for the defensive end and just has to grow through those struggles. Yeah, I agree with all that. And like, he can navigate a pick and roll. It's just that one of every four of them, like he's gonna make a little error right now, and that you know that's not that's not good. That's what's holding him back from being a much higher rated prospect, despite me liking him still 
quite a bit, and that's something he'll definitely have to work on if he's going to be that secondary creator in the NBA. He Like the secondary, the primary creator can turn it over, right? They're allowed to. They're the one trying to make all the plays. The secondary guy's got to be much cleaner with the ball, and that seems like a more natural fit for his role at the pro level. I don't think he'll, I, I don't think he'll ever maybe reach Josh Giddey's level of playmaking. Like there's a pretty good chance that never happens, and the turnovers are a big reason why. The second thing that stood out to me is a weakness, and feel free to jump in if you have anything that I'm just saying that seems extremely stupid. Uh, free throws. Not shooting them specifically, although that is a problem. Getting to the line at all, right? An efficient play, getting to the free throw line, maybe not in his case, but he he can kind of get into the lane. And uh, I want to add this to the turnovers while I'm thinking about it. When he gets in the lane, sometimes he does this thing a lot of young guys do. Aaron Holiday had this problem with the Pacers. They jump in the lane because they think they can shoot or have a pass, and then they realize it's cut off, but they don't have a backup plan, but they're in the air, so they have to do something or they're just going to travel. He does that a lot. That is a big percentage of his turnovers, but that also is something he does that does not allow him to draw fouls. He's not great at getting to the line, and so for a guy who's going to struggle shooting, potentially out of the jump, getting to being an efficient player might be a little tough just because uh, it's going to be a little harder for him to get to the line as well. And that's where I think that his offensive game takes a massive hit is because I talk about this all the time on Locked on Thunder. The difference in points per game is your free throw attempts. What took SG to the next level of being a 25 point per game score was him getting to the line more. And that's the case for going from 10 points to 15 points, 15 points to 20, and so on and so forth, to where this is a guy who can't shoot threes and, and doesn't project to shoot threes. Uh, of course, he's still young and technically could, but we have no data point around that suggests he can shoot threes in the future. This is a guy who does not finish extremely well at the rim in general. And, and struggles to get there with his explosiveness. So if he can't do any of those things and can't get to the line, where are the points coming from? And if you have one guy who can't score the basketball on his own, that's that's fine. But then if you add another one in the future, that's where things start to unravel. And that's where it gets interesting for the Thunder when they when you discuss Dyson Daniels as a pick for the Thunder because Josh Giddey's focus on offense is to set others up, not to score himself. If that's the same focus for Dyson Daniels, you have now two of five players on the court who cannot score for themselves. And now you have only SGA can score in isolation. Dort can knock down a couple threes. And then whoever else you get at the top of the draft uh, and so on and so forth. So that's where whenever you're thinking about the draft, it's not just a player in a vacuum. In a vacuum, I'd really like Dyson Daniels. It's how they fit in the ecosystem. And for the Thunder specifically, I'm not sure uh, how that's going to work. Yeah, the Pacers ecosystem is fascinating in that regard because – if you told me that every minute he's in, he's playing like off of Tyrese Halliburton. You know, he's very rarely the primary guy. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that that will be good. You know, that will work out. They have other creators on the team. They've got a lob threat for him to throw to. He's pretty good at that style of pass or creation style in general. And Isaiah Jackson or even Miles Turner, if they finally decide to use him as a lob threat, as Rick Carlisle said, I never did. You know, those kind of things make sense. But if he's the lone point guard or if he's bringing it up and Halliburton's off guard, all of a sudden you've shot yourself in the foot as the Pacers. And teams change a lot in the NBA. I don't want to be like, well, if he doesn't fit with Halliburton, he's a useless pick. Get him out there. You know, whatever. Your team's going to change a million times in the next 10 years. But you know, that, that kind of stuff certainly matters. And having him in the right role certainly matters. And while I do think his floor is very high and that pushes him up the rankings for me, his ceiling might not be as high if he can't get one of free throws or threes. Right Then he's just kind of locked into being an elite connecting player, which is a good player. Like He's probably starter level to me. That's why I have him inside the top 10. But it's hard to get above that in that role, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it just comes down to like how you evaluate your team right now. Like for the Thunder, you're evaluating your team based on Josh Giddey and SGA, and and whatever, however the roster terms over past that those two is whatever. But whenever you're looking at Dyson Daniels for the Thunder and SGA and Josh Giddey, 
SGA has to have a certain number of isolation opportunities. That's where he's going to make his bread and butter. That takes away Dyson's playmaking ability, which is the only thing he's going to thrive at in the immediate future that we can project to be elite in the future. Josh Giddy, he is already an elite NBA playmaker, and he's in year two. He needs the ball in his hands a certain amount of time. Now you're looking at the third amount of time to have the ball in Dice Daniel's hand where he can actually thrive in that playmaking avenue. What does he do past playmaking? Is he going to be a really good cutter in the NBA? It seems like he could, but let's see it in an NBA game and obviously set it for any prospect. But now you're moving the goalpost back and back and back on how he's going to fit with a specific team. But it, but as a just prospect, I really like Dice Daniel's game, and I think he's a top 12 guy. Uh, you watched more Ignite than I did, so the only other thing I'll add is, like, his team defense is fine, um, but definitely, as every young guy does, you know, a little few sleeper moments, a few, like, oh, <laughs> whoop, my bad. Um, but did I miss anything that you felt like, oh, he's that's a weakness, or that's something that he's got to grow as he gets into the NBA? Yeah, I think that the team defense was actually better than most prospects because, you know, you're playing in a more NBA-structured environment. That is true. Uh, and, and, and I think that his team defense, you can – what I like to do for college guys – is I always say a disclaimer of, yes, he did fall asleep, but it's very hard to be locked in against Maryland on a Tuesday versus in the TD Garden on a, on a Wednesday. So <laughs> I like to give guys a pass. I like to give guys a pass on, on team defense qualifications. But even with that disclaimer, Ice Nails was a really good team defender. And so I think that that's where he's going to be a guy who stays on the floor as a rookie is how good he defends and how good he can help a young team play team defense and, and get better defensively because most young teams are going to struggle to score in the NBA. So you have to limit scoring at that point. And so I think that that's where he's going to really improve as a player. And then also I just really like Ignite guys. I just think that the structure that they have there is really good. Uh, they had a ton of avenues to watch them just both full games. And also they had live stream practices that we got to watch before interviewing them after practices. And you could just see that he was a guy that has the quote unquote intangibles, right? We mentioned his background before of how important it is to playing in the NBL and playing with fellow Australians on the Australian national team, how you get around professional athletes and professional players. And I'll add to that by saying Josh Giddy after the season said what surprised him was that the NBL prepared him for too much of a grind. The NBA has one hard practice a week and the NBL, he said, we're scrimmaging five days a week and then playing on Saturday. Like we were scrimmaging, 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 going hard at our own teammates and then playing our game. In the NBA, we might have had one hard practice a week, if that. And so he's going to be prepared for the duration of an NBA season because of Ignite, because of the NBL, because of the national team, more so than other college athletes will be right out of the gate. So that's not something to teach him and hope that it sticks. Because some guys just, you're going to have to try to teach him that, and they're not going to get it. And they're going to fall out of the NBA because they just cannot deal with the ringer of playing in the NBA. This is not one of those kind of guys. So there's a lot of... Uh, benefits to drafting a professional 19-year-old who now all you have to do is install be, uh, you know, better technique in and better framing on. That's that's easier to do than having to teach everything under the sun. I trust your judgment more than mine. And my team defense caveats, I liked your Maryland thing. That was perfect. I have two. One is, if you, like Ben Simmons had this, if you recognize patterns really well as an offensive player, that will translate to defense. And like that will make you a naturally better defender as time goes on. Daniels does that, right? So even if his team defense isn't perfect right now, like he'll get better on that end to me. And two, if you play with a bunch of crappy defenders, you have to help like all the time. Like you're going to mess up sometimes. And some of those Ignite guys, uh, you know, Scoot Henderson's like 17. Like, you know, they're not as good as on ball defenders. They're, they're not refined for the pro game yet. So there are a lot of caveats abound for him, especially on that end of the floor. I think he will be a good team defender in the NBA. Uh, I want to talk about... One, his fit in the pro level at all. And two, how G League Ignite guys have translated in the one-year experience that we have of pro guys 
from the Ignite level. Before we do that, though, Ryan, let's talk about BetOnline.net, our partners who continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next year NFL futures, all at BetOnline.net, your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs to esports and more. They sent us some lines earlier today for the Lakers' next coach. The favorite is Terry Stotts with Charles Lee in second, who is reported today is going to interview for them from Milwaukee. They also have playoff lines up for some game sixes with Milwaukee favored to close out and the Warriors favored by eight after getting their butts handed to them earlier this week. Looking forward to those. You can head over to the website today to see those lines or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you again for making Locked On Pacers and Locked On Thunder your first listen today and every single day. We both highly recommend checking out Locked On NBA Big Board, where you can hear more about these draft prospects from guys who cover the draft year-round and are traveling around to these workouts. Richard, Raphael, Leaf, and uh, Sam are killing it in that beat. Have many of them on Locked On Pacers already. So before we talk about his NBA fit, we kind of have blended that into our conversation already. We're only two years into the G League Ignite experience. We have one draft class with those guys. And the two dudes who went in the lotto uh, both look pretty damn good at the NBA level so far. Jalen Green looked great, especially down the stretch for the Rockets. You know, you go from pro experience to the NBA. It was a wardy at first, but looks great. Kuminga is in the rotation for a team with, you know, there might be in the conference. He started in the against the Grizzlies this series. Like, he's going to be in the rotation for a conference finalist team right away. Nick's got a promotion with the Rockets to getting a two-way. Isaiah Todd went 31st. He was probably the only disappointment, I would say, of the guys who went pro. The Ignite system seemed to set up these guys pretty well. How do you feel like it's worked so far to get guys? You know, it, the, the purpose of it isn't necessarily to get guys to the NBA, but how do you feel like it's done at that skill development and making these guys good pros? No, I think they've done a fantastic job whenever you just look at the results. And whenever you start to qualify the result, you see how elite that they've been at churning out ready-made NBA players because they, they're on their second coach as Brian Shaw left uh, the, the program after year one. They've played both seasons in a pandemic where they got to play in the bubble year one after practicing for almost a year before getting to play games, keeping those guys engaged for a year of practice with no end in sight until that bubble miraculously appeared for the G League was huge to keep young 18-year-olds in line and, and together and focused while they're watching their peers play in college basketball and playing actual games that are getting them recognized. And that has to be fearful if you're Jalen Green. We ended up going number two overall, but at the time, you're sitting there in December, and college basketball is two months in, and we're raving about Cade Cunningham. We're raving about the guys we're getting to see. And Jalen Green might have felt like, hey, I'm getting forgot about over here because I'm just practicing in a ballroom uh, and I'm locked away in, in quarantine waiting to go to the bubble. And so that pressure made that 12-game bubble stint even more important. And to be ready for that and to produce at that was huge for just seeing how they're managing people. And then this year, they enter and play in a showcase and for the exhibitions, but it was still clunky under a first-year head coach, you know, a new head coach for the Ignite program after Shaw left. So now you've got your footing, and next year you should have a more realistic and more tangible season, and now you can really start to roll as an Ignite program. And they've done a fantastic job so far. And to me, 
both teams, you know, right now, the, hopefully the, the Pacers and Thunder at least hold serve and pick four and five, if not in five. But the Pacers could fall to nine and could fall to eight. And in that range, there's not very many players who I think cannot fail. I think that the only way Dyson Daniels fails, and this is a huge plus for him, is if a team gives up on him early. I think that he's going to make mistakes. And this is a big deal about the Pacers and Rick Carlisle. You have to be comfortable that he's going to have a ton of turnovers. He's going to miss a ton of shots. He's going to play really good defense. And if you give him time to grow as a playmaker and learn how to playmake against NBA defenders, eventually he's going to get it and look like Josh Giddey looked last year even better as Josh Giddey gets better as well. Not going to be better than Josh Giddey, but is going to get better like Josh Giddey did. I want to make that clear because there's a lot of Josh, Josh Giddey stands. He's not going to be better than Josh Giddey, but that can improve to that playmaking level as Josh Giddey has reached his rookie year. So you see that, and I just don't see how he fails in the NBA unless you have a coach who just says, you turn over too much, now you're on the bench, now you lose the confidence, now you're never going to play, now you have my rotation entirely as we're losing 50 games, and then it just down spirals the way it did for a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. And Dyson Daniel is a guy who has way more skill level in terms of in, in terms of NBA traits than Dennis Smith Jr. did. But he kind of got buried in that Rick Carlisle feud, and then his career was never the same. So as long as you get into a program that has discipline, isn't going to try to rush or the accelerator button, is going to let you grow, I don't see how Dyson Dinos is not a really good NBA player that, that can produce huge moments and wins for you in tangible moments like, like the playoffs and not just in February. So you draft a playoff player at 8 and 9, that's really good value for those slots. I agree with all that, and I think that, you know, like – Despite me thinking he's a top 10 guy, there's like no chance he wins rookie of the year. Like no chance to me. So it will take a project team and like from a pay, you know, I don't know what, I don't cover the Thunder, obviously. I don't know if they're thinking like next year's the year we're going to be great and, and blow up or anything. But the Pacers for all of time have never wanted to be bad. Like they are probably going to try to get much better next year. I don't know how much, but better to some extent. That might not be the best ecosystem for a guy like Dyson Daniels. If they are trying to, you know, get Miles Turner back out there, get Brogdon back out there, get some other pieces, insert their pick into a team that already has, you know, a third-year guy in Halbert and a second-year guy in Duarte and whoever they pick in the top 10 in the rotation. Like, they're that's going to be a warty team. So, like, if they want to be better, they need to pick, like, maybe a higher, like, an immediate guy. And I, I still think Daniels has a high floor, but not immediate contributor level. And no one is an immediate contributor. But, you know, that might scare them away. And Carlisle, I agree with you, has not... <laughs> conventionally been a play the young guys kind of coach he has had Luca uh change his mind a little bit in recent seasons and Duarte he played Duarte all the time so I think he well, might Duarte be was collecting around. social security so that's like I mean that's, that's <laughs> different a little bit I think but it is it is the only other rookie he played serious minutes to is Justin Anderson who was back on the Pacers this year under Rick Carlisle how ironic is that so uh I don't know like despite me being high on him I don't know if the Pacers specifically are the perfect spot for him and for the Thunder. You know, may, you talked about his potential fit with Shea and Giddy. Like, if they're trying to finally take that step into whatever, play in playoffs next year, he would not be the fit there. If they're still going on the path that they've been going on of like, okay, we'll kick the can one more time while we still have Josh Giddy for cheap and then we'll go for it, then maybe he'd be a really good fit with that. I don't know what you think there, though. Yeah, I think the Thunder, like, whenever they make that move, will be like 2023. So I think next year will be a lot of the same. I mean, I think that with four top uh, 35 picks in this year's draft, it's going to be hard to be just outright terrible. They're also Sorry. not going to go for the playoffs. Can the Thunder even fit in four top 35 picks? And that's what that's what we asked Sam Presti at his end of uh, his two hour, three hour uh, end of uh, season availability. 
he said, look, we're going to bring in the guys, and if they if they beat out our NBA players, we're going to find room for them and just either cut them, trade them, whatever. And it's going to be a competition in camp. Now, do you believe them? Are they really going to draft all four? <laughs> Probably not. But he seems comfortable doing that if his guys are there. And so uh, I, I think that they're going to be better next year, not going to be a playing team next year. Uh, the, the, the only hiccup for the Thunder would be, even if Dyson Dale hits a ceiling and we've been raving about him for 30 minutes now, even if he hits what we've been raving about, that's still a non-score. And Josh Giddy projects to be a non-score. Now Josh Giddy can't improve. He's going to work on his jump shot this summer. He's already said that with the Thunder uh, coaching staff, with Mike Wilkes of the Thunder coaching staff. He's going to work on his jump shot all summer long. Maybe Josh Giddy turns it around as a shooter and becomes a score. That's two of the five non-scores for your core of a, of a hopeful title team eventually. It usually doesn't work out very well, but it could in this instance. That's kind of the only hiccup. But yeah, I think that the Pacers want to go for it. As much as we've been loving up on Dyson Daniels today, I don't see him developing enough of this specific season to be in a even a plane or playoff rotation like Jonathan Kaminga found his way in. I think that he, he eventually will get there and eventually will be a, a player that wins you playoff series and helps you connect the dots, but not this season. So if that's what you're looking for, there's other high floor but low ceiling options, unlike Dyson Daniel, who has, a, I think, a higher floor than people give him credit for, but also a very high ceiling. It's weird because like the, the Daniels team is one that probably has two more years at, at like a lower level. Like the Rockets make a lot of sense, but their pick floor is like six, so they're probably not going to pick him. And other maybe the Magic, but their pick floor again is like seven. And then every other team in the lottery is kind of like, well, we want to be good kind of soon again, right? So like it's kind of hard to find that that perfect home for him in that range. Like maybe the Wizards trade Beal and finally go that route, then they would be a pretty good fit alongside young guys they already have. But most of the rest are thinking play in playoff something next year uh, from basically like five through the end of the lottery. So outside of the Thunder uh, with their second lottery pick. So it'll be fascinating to see where Daniels ends up in this draft because of, like we said, you know, you, wherever you fall on the floor-ceiling thing, the time it will take for him to grow is, is really interesting, especially in the league right now. It, it's so weird. Like, this is unrelated to what we're talking about. But it's really unique NBA right now in the number of teams that are going for it and think they're close to being a contender. It's very rare. Like, only five teams with cap space next year. Most teams think they can make that play, and the plan has really changed this ecosystem. So for a guy like Daniels, it's a fascinating draft in that you're kind of like, oh, crap, this is this is not the year to be the player of my prototype necessarily. Yeah, and that's where Sam Presley said after the season where the NBA is trying to pull every team to the middle. In their ideal world, every team would be in the exact middle. We're trying in the Oklahoma City to not go to the middle and go from the bottom right to the right to ascending to where we could win a championship if you got into the dance. So the goal for the Thunder is not to play in or the or the bottom half of the playoffs. That's not the achievement it would be for, say, the Kings, who haven't been there in 21 years. And maybe that happens to the Thunder in 21 years. Who knows? But uh, for the Thunder, they're looking at just not going all in. Like they could theoretically trade in, you know, trade in pick 20, you know, pick 30 and pick 12 and get a guy who can play in the NBA tomorrow uh, and help the Thunder get to the playing in the West. They could do that. They have the assets to, to build a team like the Bulls built. This last I think season. I know a team that would that would take that deal. <laughs> right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have the team to just get into the playoffs if they wanted to get in, but that team at that point would not be sustainable, and then you likely would not you know, get to keep all of those guys that you trade these chips in for. So uh, it's just a slippery slope argument here where the Thunder are still in talent accumulation mode, and they just need top-end talent. They have a lot of guys who can be in a playoff rotation on their roster right now. Jeremiah Robson, Trey Mann, and so on and so forth. They don't have a lot of guys who are top-end blue-chip guys who can go get you a bucket in the playoffs. They really have one of those guys in SGA that can go get you a bucket, and Josh Shitty can set you up a bucket in the playoffs. They need another guy who can add to that pillar and have a three-headed kind of trio that go along with those guys that can even out in the playoffs. 
This has been a fun one because we started talking about Dyson Daniels and just slowly weaved away from talking about Dyson Daniels. But as these prospect things go, you kind of get into NBA philosophy because that's the draft. The draft is more than the draft every year, especially for teams picking in the top, whatever these two teams end up at next Tuesday. Like it represents your future. It could change every single thing about your franchise and the decisions made. And that's why these discussions end up weaving into how your other players fit around them, how your team is actually building, how other teams are actually building matters so much in these discussions. Rylan, it's very fun to talk to you. I was going to say thank you for the time, but you're not a guest on my show or on each other's show. So it was very <laughs> fun to talk to you. Uh, I'll let you go first where people can can hear you and follow all of your awesome work. Always a fun time. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter, Hello Thunderpod. Also check out thundersandinges.com. Tony, thanks for having me on, buddy. <laughs> See, I didn't have you on, though. I'm on your show for your listeners right now. This is, this is, this it's, is it's a lockdown inception here. If this is one of the shows that Nick grades, we're toast. He's going to roast us for our Oh, ideas. man. He's not going to get to the 34-minute mark. He's going to look at the time tone and send us an email saying, hey, guys, <laughs> you got to trim this up a little bit. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at TEastNBA, babbling about the Pacers and the Indiana Fever of the WNBA. And, of course, lots of draft content over here as well for you Thunder fans who are looking, looking for more. Uh, thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend, and I think both of us will see you on Monday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.